done for me. Shout your praise, our hearts will. 
worshiping this morning through a responsive reading. And today's reading comes from a reflection on David's life and just his faithfulness through it all. And also recognizing, though, that his faithfulness wasn't because of his own strength. And realizing that we, too, just like David, are weak in our flesh and on our own can't live up to the righteousness of God. And so we thankfully don't have to and get to celebrate our freedom in Christ today and beg for the pardon of our sins altogether and celebrate the mercy that is renewed every day from our Savior that died on the cross and rose again victoriously three days later, defeating sin and death and breaking that barrier that was between us and God caused by our sin. So we now together are going to, as a church, beg, like I said, for the pardon of our sins and celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ. I'm going to read where it says reader, and then if you guys will all join together where it says awe. Almighty God, so many of King David's psalms show a heart out of tune, sighing, crying, and breaking with sorrow, yet still clinging to faith in you. So too, O Lord, are our hearts. In Jesus Christ, you have given us what we need most. His cross makes our forgiveness possible, and his spirit tunes our hearts again to sing your praises. Humbly, we beg your pardon for our sins. Eagerly, we plead your help to enthrone in our hearts David's son, Christ Jesus, King of the universe, our Savior and Lord. With King David, we declare our trust in your unfailing love. Amen. You can be seated. morning redeemer so i have with me somebody very special been waiting a very long time for this day um, this is Amp, and she's from thailand and as many of you know uh, that have been coming here recently we've really been highlighting on the j1 ministry uh, these international students that come from all over the world every corner and they come here to study for or to be free from studying for the summer experience america and I had the opportunity and just the awesome uh, blessing from God to meet Ump last year. And she's here this year again, and uh, she's got something a little bit different she's going to be doing this summer, her goal. So I'm going to hand off the mic to her, and she's just going to share uh, some of her experience that she had last summer. And just with, with being here at Redeemer and spending time with me at work as well. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sam, and I am a little bit nervous. First of all, I would like to thank you guys for this big change of my life. And I will try my best to speaking a good accent. So I was a bad girl whose life depends on whatever I want. I was addicted to drugs, alcohol, and especially friends. I would just live my life and didn't really care what people thought about me, and my actions have never caused anyone's life's problem, except my own. But I did care for some imp important people, such as my family and friends. 
even though I had lived a wasted life or what I call adventurous, I still took care of my problems and all of my responsibilities. I was a good student, a good daughter, and a good friend as well. Before I came here, my life depended on a lot of messy things. It before sorry before it had changed forever. Last year, I decided to come here, even though it was my first time being away from my home and my family. But I thought this journey is going to be fun. And be, oh, sorry. <laughs> going to be fun. I had nothing to be scared of or fear because I had my best friend with me. We had been friends for 10 years. We grew up together. We live together. We share a lot of good times and bad times together. You know that one, that one friend, that one best friend that you would share everything in life with. But after we arrived in USA, everything changed. Our relationship seemed to grow distant. We had argument and many issues went on. She would look at me as an enemy would, and it broke my heart every time we made eye contact. Meanwhile, I did not really know what I would be with my life because she seemed to be the only person that I care, that I can rely on, but then I met my Christian friends. He was always be my side. He was so nice. He helped me a lot, he paid attention, and he knew that something happened with me and my best friend. So he told me that, do not give up on her. He encouraged me and taught, and taught me to look on the bright side by God's work. At first, I really didn't understand how to believe in God. I admit that God's words are great, but I wasn't touched by them or connect to them. So. He told me just to pray to God, and he will show me how big he is. One day on the beach, I was alone and was thinking about my best friend that I haven't talked for a couple weeks, and I just realized that this was the problem that I cannot hold on inside. My heart desires something, so I opened Bible app, and the first thing that I saw was Luke 11, verse 2. So I start to pray, and I confess everything to God. I cried out, but I still challenge him that, God, if you have a power, can you make our relationship better? Give her back to me, and I will start to know you more. And that same evening when I saw her, I talked to her. She talked to me a lot. and. She act like nothing happened between us. I was happy, but deep down in my soul, it still had fire of anger. And I can't forgive her for whatever she did to me. I tried so hard to forgive her, but after I read Matthew 5, verse 39, 44, and Colossians 3, verse 13, my anger was gone. and. God sets me free. I realize that his words are the truth. If I humble that, I am a sinner. 
when I fall down, he picks me up by his righteous right hand. No one can meet my soul. Sorry. No one can meet my soul's thirst except God, the Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. So I decided to run into his arms and became his child for preaching. Nowadays, I am not the person I used to be. My life is in Christ. I let God lead my ways, and today I'm here to grow, to grow up, to share his God bill as much as I can. Well, I don't think there's a dry eye in the room here. Um, Yes, so last summer, just through investing time in these students and sharing God's word, uh, we have a sister now uh, to share an eternal weight of glory with. Praise God, right? So, um, Up is actually here at the church through just some prayer. We've decided to bring her back to be a missionary to these students. Uh, she, she now knows the gospel, and she can speak much better Thai than any of us can, I'm sure. <laughs> But get to know her. Get to know, uh, get to know her story more. She's going to be here all summer. There was a sign-up sheet. Um, just reach out to, to myself or the Kempers or, or David and Josh. Let us know if you want to be uh, part of that, uh, part of getting to know Op some more and, and her story. It's really amazing. Um, this little letter doesn't do justice to all the crazy things that happened last summer. So I'm just going to pray for Op, and then we're going to continue uh, in worship, okay? Father, we do praise you for your gospel, for your power and might to save. We praise you for the cross. That just as we see in Aunt's story, that you are mighty, you are big, and it doesn't matter uh, what circumstance we go through, who we are, where we come from, God, that you save. You save us from our sins, Lord, our our terrible, wicked sins that separate us from you. And we're, we are so grateful uh, to have Am, and we ask that you would uh, use her not only to reach others that are here for the summer, but to edify this church, to edify this body. Lord, we ask that you'll use all of us here to get to know Am, to pour into her, Lord. And we just praise you for the work that you're already doing, that I'm already seeing you do through her. I ask that you would just be heavy upon the hearts of the Thai people as we go forward this summer engaging with these students. Again, we do thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, that is amazing. Isn't it amazing? Um, Sometimes we don't have a a great perspective. Uh, we think that missionaries are things that we sent out rather than um, bringing p- missionaries here uh, to minister to people all around us. And so I, I love that. I love that uh, God is doing a great work in the heart of many um, all over the world. And it's so cool that he has taken notice of our area and he cares uh, even for the internationals that are coming down here in the summer. Um, if you have a Bible, open up to First Samuel 
chapter 24, and I'm going to try to pull myself together a little bit. First Samuel chapter 24. So we, uh, we are in a series. We've been going through a series uh, 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 called uh, Stories from the Kings. And we are just hopping through a few different kings of Israel. We started with just talking about how Israel called for a king. Their desire was for a king so that they could be like everyone else, every other nation. And uh, our story leads us to King David uh, today. Uh, first of all, um, if you guys, uh, I, I would also like to give honor where honors due um, because uh, Brenna and Emily, they kind of, they, they did such a great job leading us to worship today. It was uh, more of a last-second thing. Uh, pa- our dearest Pastor Josh uh, hurt his back this week, and so um, Brenna and, uh, and Emily hopped in and led us. So can you guys say, let's just say thank you uh, for leading us to worship. And now if you've ever had a dream, an ambition to wrestle Pastor Josh, um, now is a perfect time. To kind of go at him, you got a little bit of, how you feeling? You doing all right? Yeah, good, good. Well, our story leads us to, to King David. We started off with talking about how Israel wanted a king, and then we went to King Saul, and we just covered the entire life of King Saul. Then we went, to, Pastor Josh talked about King David last week, an anointing of a, of a young man between the ages of 13 to 15 years old. And then, this week, we're jumping up. So a lot has happened in the past, in the past week. A lot of things have happened in the past week. Um, But I would like to remind us that as Israel was looking for a king, we too look for kings. Everyone in this room looks for kings. Just because Israel was looking for a royal monarch to uh, fulfill them, to satisfy them, to make them happy, to make them look like everyone else. We have the tendency to look for kings as well. Anything that provides you security and happiness, anything that you depend upon for your security and happiness has kingly potential in your life. I want to remind us of that as we move forward. Some kings, though, uh, physically in Israel, some of them were generally good, and some of them were incredibly bad. Uh, Scripture says some did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and some did what was evil in the, right, in the eyes of the Lord. But here's the, here's the thing. All these kings that we're studying this summer all fall short. Even the best of the best, and we're in the middle of the best of the best. We're in the middle of King David. They all fall short. Um, But uh, one thing that I think that studying the life of King David does so amazing is it points us to Jesus. Jesus, the only king who can deliver us, uh, can deliver on the demands of a perfect king. So, and furthermore, as the apostles, as the apostle Paul reminds us, stories like David also show us how to trust and walk with God. 1 Corinthians 10, 6, now these things became examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. So as we walk through these stories in, the, in these kings, listen for the, how this example points to the greater king, King Jesus. And also listen for examples on how to walk or unfortunately not walk in the fear of the Lord and what uh, a godly heart looks like. So if you have your worship guide, pull it out. We have four R's that I'm going to walk through today. But like I said, a lot has happened since last week. Uh, a young boy was anointed by Samuel to be the future king of Israel because he was a man after God's own heart. And the man that was a king, Saul, was not a man after God's heart. David wasn't the pick of the litter. He wasn't the biggest. He wasn't the strongest. Um, uh, he wasn't the smartest. But he had a sincere heart 
for the Lord. David, between the age of 13 and 15, then went on to kill a giant. He killed a bear and a lion. Uh, David also became very loved, even by Saul's own family. He married Saul's daughter. He became best friends with Saul's son and even got a job on Capitol Hill. So David rose pretty quickly, and everybody loved him. He became a warrior, and everybody, uh, but then something happened. Something changed. The, the people used to say, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. So what happened to Saul? He, he became really jealous. He became incredibly jealous. Instead of having a heart of a father and being excited about the rise of, of David, he, he became jealous like an older brother. He, start, he, 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 sent, he set out to destroy David. He tried to ruin his reputation in front of everybody. He tried to, well, he actually did. He took David's wife away and gave her to another. And then he began throwing spears at David, like um, literally threw spears at David, trying to kill him numerous times. And our story today comes when David is on the run from Saul. He has a, a small group of men willing to fight for him, David does, but they are no match for the 3,000 in the army of Saul. So their plan was to, to hide. They're, they're, they were running and they were hiding. So David and his men flee to the area of the Dead Sea. There's a place called Ein Gedi. It's a beautiful oasis with many caves. And I've had the opportunity of climbing in those caves a whole bunch. And I'm wondering, which one was David hiding in from Saul? So that's where our story comes today. Chapter 24, verse 1 through 3. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Ein Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat Roth. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, and there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Now, if you don't think the Bible is funny... Apparently, you haven't read chapter 24. It just so happens that, day, that Saul is with the army, and he sees a cave, and he, one of many caves, by the way, he just so happens to be walking by that cave when he has the urge to go to the restroom. And so he just so happens to walk into that cave, and it just so happens that David is hiding in that bathroom. I think it's hilarious. Um, so he's hiding in this cave, and it just... It's not, I don't think it's a coincidence. The Hebrew here, it says to cover his feet, and that's a euphemism for using the restroom. So it's an awkward Bible bathroom moment. <laughs> so just imagine, you're in that cave, and you see him come in, start to use the restroom, you're like, uh, okay. Basically, all, all this means is that Saul, who has been horrible and evil to David, out to kill David, now he's at the complete mercy of David. There's not 3,000 people in there guarding him. No army, no weapons, no pants. And he had no clue. He had no clue. This seems like a perfect, opportune time for David. And that's the title of the message, is when opportunity strikes. In fact, it seems like a a God-ordained opportunity. When 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 David is confronted with this, um, his, his people reiterate that. His dudes say, 
hey, this is a God thing. So let's keep reading verse 4. And the man of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that it is the Lord's, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Instead of seizing this opportunity, when opportunity strikes, instead of seizing it, David demonstrates restraint. That's the first R. He demonstrates restraint. Sometimes what is right in the eyes of those around you isn't right in the eyes of God. Amen? Okay, I'm going to say that again. Great response would be amen. <laughs> Instead of seizing an opportunity, um, or sometimes what is right in the eyes of others doesn't mean it's right in the eyes of God. Amen. amen. Yeah, Marcella, that's what I'm talking about. In the eyes of people, David would have been completely justified killing Saul, right? Saul was out to kill him. It's self-defense. In the eyes of people, David would have been completely justified. I don't think we should uh, skip over something that's very important that we could miss easily. And that is David's profound guilt. David's profound guilt at cutting off the corner of his robe. Uh, David's men must have been speechless. Because not only David was, was David not willing to lay uh, like one hand on his hair but he felt guilty about even cutting his robe. These men must have sat there astonished. Wow, what character. Frankly put, killing Saul would have solved just about every problem that David had. Yet David stands firm because he sees it impossible to achieve the purpose and blessing of God while breaking the commands of God. It's impossible to achieve the purpose and blessing of God while breaking the commands of God. I wonder if you and I were in that situation. I wonder if you or I were in that situation ever. What would we do? It's tragically easy to confuse both our desires and circumstances with God's will, is it not? It's really easy. That leads to confused spiritual justification, and it happens all the time. I hear it all the time. When it comes to relationships, comes to finances, comes to future, oh, this thing just seemed to line up so perfectly. It must be God's will, Right? It's so easy. Um, I know that I'm not supposed to have an affair on my husband, but this guy at work and I just have a spark. We wouldn't have that spark if it wasn't God's will, right? I've heard that before. Or I'm financially, um, I, uh, this house that's way out of my budget, I got approved for it from some guy in the backseat of his van, um, so we can't afford it. But hey, right, it must be God's will because I got approved for it. Now I'm going to be in debt forever. People like to justify circumstances and say it's God's will when, in, in fact, that doesn't always mean that that's true. Um, and here's a statement that might get me into trouble, but I believe this with all my heart. Ready for it? Everybody's like really excited. Great. <laughs> What's going to get you in trouble? God's providential will almost always has more to do with your heart and your character than the decision itself. Does that make sense? His, when you're faced with a decision, 
His providential will almost always has to do more with your character and your heart than it does with a decision. Do you think that you're going to spoil some vast eternal plan if you choose to go to Florida State over Auburn? Okay, that's a bad example. Bad example. Probably you will spoil a vast eternal plan. But we take this really seriously. I have, I have students come to me. I have parents come to me. Well, I just don't know which one to choose. What do I do? This or that, as though we're going to spoil some vast eternal plan. And yet, if your character and your heart is laid at the feet of Jesus, he guides gently. He guides you. His providential will almost always has more to do with your heart and your character than the decision itself. So the point is this. When opportunity strikes, David shows restraint in killing Saul. Great. One person took notes today. Awesome. David shows restraint in killing Saul. So why? Why does he show restraint? Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Man, this AC behind me is blowing my Bible. Uh, Afterward, David also arose and went out to the cave and called after Saul, my Lord and King. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. David cries out, my Lord and my King. As Saul just relieved himself, has no clue, he walks out and he hears David say, my Lord and my King. He turns around, David falls on his face paying homage. He showed, this is the second R, he showed reverence. He showed respect. Did Saul deserve it? No, no, um, he did not deserve it. But David honored the office of the king. This same guy who had stolen his wife away, who spread lies about him, who tried to harpoon him like Moby Dick, he honored him. He showed reverence to the fact that Saul was the Lord's anointed. How amazing is that? How is, that's amazing. Can you? So here's a question I'd like you to answer. We can interact. Can you still respect someone who doesn't deserve it? Can you show honor to someone who doesn't deserve it? A husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a friend, a church member? Absolutely. In fact, I think Scripture tells us we should, commands us to. What about a leader, a principal, a president, a church pastor or an elder? Can you show respect to someone who doesn't deserve it? Yes. Yes. Again, Scripture commands us to. 1 Timothy 5.1, do not rebuke an elder, but encourage him as you would a father. Young men, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Acts 23.1-5, uh, uh, Paul, the apostle, is standing before a council, and he's getting uh, rebuked and attacked. And then they're, they're going to slap his face. And he says, the Lord's going to slap you, you whitewashed wall. And then all the council says, why are you talking to the high priest of God that way? And then Saul said, or Paul says, for it is written, he says, I did not know that he was the high priest. Uh, I'm sorry. For it is written, thou shalt not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Scripture commands us to, to be respectful and reverent to people in authority. And I know that the yeah buts are going off in your head right now. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but. Just wait. We are called to be respectful and reverent. 
David, instead of killing Saul, he shows respect to him in his position. And that's amazing. And some of you, I want to challenge you, some of you would do well, then do better to work at work if you approach your boss reverently. Might not, they might not be worthy of it, but some of us would do well and we would honor God if you spoke respectfully to and about your boss. Some of you who are children or youth would be better um, at home if you approach your parents reverently. You can be in disagreement. You can think they don't deserve it. You can think they're mean. But if you, if you approach them reverently and respectfully, you honor God. That doesn't mean to get railroaded by people in leadership, but speak well of them. Lean into respecting them before God and men. And I believe you'll do, if you do that, you'll be demonstrating a heart after God's own heart. And that leads us to the third point. Um, and we'll explain a little bit of that in a second. But the third point is David proclaims his resolution. David proclaims his resolution. Let's read verse 9 through 11. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave, and some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, he calls him his father. Oh, see the corner of your robe in my hand? For by the fact that I cut off the the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hand. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. David is resolved. He resolves to never lift up his hand against the Lord's anointed. And this is huge. This is huge. Because it clues us into something that we don't need to skip over in verse 4 and 5. And that is his profound guilt over cutting off the corner of his robe. He felt total guilt. It says his heart struck him after cutting off the corner of Saul's robe. Now, the reason why is, take, I want you to take note of this. The reason why it said corner of the robe twice is because this word is really important. The word corner is kanaf, which is a messianic term, actually. It means wings. And there's passages all over scripture that talk about wings. And um, uh, the corner of your prayer shawl is called a kanaf. And uh, uh, long story short, it's a symbol of God's anointed. Malachi talks about the coming Messiah will come and rise with healing in his corner, in his wings, in the corner of his, of his prayer shawl. Jesus will come with healing in his kanaf, meaning uh, God's anointed will come to heal and to save. So David, cutting off the corner of his prayer shawl, cutting off the corner of it, means you are not God's anointed. So he felt pro- profound guilt on this. Why? Because he's not supposed to uh, take into his own hands and say who is God's anointed or not. That's not for him to decide. Um, David resolves that it's not up to him to remove Saul from leadership. That's up to God. So David continues to read verse 12 through 15. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As a proverb of the ancients, ancients say, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom was the king of Israel come out? 
After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord, therefore, be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Brothers and sisters, we are called to not avenge ourselves and we are called to be like David. Be resolved to not avenge ourselves. Turn with me to Romans. Romans chapter 12. I want you to put something in there because we're going to go from Romans back to 1 Samuel, then back to Romans again. Romans 12. Paul, writing uh, to a letter to the Romans, says in verse 14 of chapter 12, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We are commanded in Scripture. We are commanded in Scripture to not avenge ourselves. And let that sink in. The wrongful action of do unto others as they have done to me is common. And yet it's wicked, it's perverse, and it's sinful. Spouses cheating on one another because uh, they did it first. Or they treated me poorly. Or employers coming down hard onto an employee so the employee defames their employer behind their back. Whatever the case, the heart behind vengeance is you have hurt me, so when given the opportunity, when opportunity strikes, I will hurt you. Don't fall for that, church. Don't fall for that. That's not a heart after God's heart. That's a heart after the world. Resolve today to not take matters into your own hands but to, or to avenge yourself. Let God do what he does in his timing. So, and finally, Saul admits David's righteousness. That's the, the fourth R. Saul admits David's righteousness. I'm going to turn back, but keep your finger in Romans 12. Uh, I'm going to turn back to Romans, I mean to 1 Samuel 24. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. You have declared this day how you have dealt with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me in your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you surely shall be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hands. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. Out of my father's house. And David swore to the, this to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the strongholds. Even a man operating out of wickedness and evil can see righteousness 
in a person. They could see a man after God's own heart. You have repaid me good while I have repaid you evil. So turn back with me to Romans 12 and read the last two verses of that section. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This reminds me of something that Jesus said. Right? Matthew chapter 5. I'll reference it, actually. Matthew chapter 5, uh, 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said. This is what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone sues you, to take your shirt, let him have your cloak as well. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Jesus demonstrates that in Matthew chapter 5. Brothers and sisters, this is our calling. A heart after God's heart does not attack when opportunity strikes, but humbly restrains, shows reverence, and resolves not to act against God's command. So that points us to something very important, and we'll, and we'll be done. In David, we have an example of a heart after God's, but David falls short. David doesn't even come close to someone else. And we always want to talk about Christ, because a thousand years after David dies, Another king is in a difficult situation. This king is on trial, being falsely accused, slapped in the face, his reputation dragged through the mud, beaten, flogged, and then slapped onto a tree to die. And during that entire ordeal, Jesus, in the face of his accusers, stood silent. He could have accused, he could have fought back, but he knew there was something greater at stake our salvation. Instead of cursing his murderers, instead of scolding his disciples who abandoned them, instead of crying out for vengeance, what does Jesus do on the cross? He prays for those who persecuted them. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they're doing. Furthermore, Jesus, uh, just as David refrains from killing Saul when he deserved it, Jesus likewise refrained from pouring out condemnation on us when we deserved it. So may we as believers take the example of David, but most importantly, take the example of Jesus Christ and trust in God, our defender, and let vengeance be his. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for these stories and kings, and we, we thank you for the story of David, the beautiful story of a man who just recklessly follows and runs after you. I thank you for the Bible and, and how the Bible details even David's mess-ups. And I thank you for this pivotal moment here where the king of Israel notices the righteous heart of David and that he is no longer the anointed. I thank you for this pivotal moment. But I pray, Lord, that this isn't a sermon where we just feel like we go out and try better to re refrain from attacking others, and we were resolved to not attack the Lord's anointed. But may we meditate on you, Lord Jesus, who in the face of your accusers, you did not fight. You saw something bigger 
And it's through your sacrifice that we have been brought into your family. So we praise you. Thank you, God. Thank you. All these things we lift up in your name, in your holy name. Amen. One of the best things that we get to do every Sunday is we get to celebrate the Lord's table together. And the Lord's table is really important because uh, Jesus Christ and his sacrifice brings us into his family. So we have a physical reminder today of Jesus' lack of fighting back and instead took the fight somewhere else uh, to the gates of hell. So today, um, as those who are serving communion can come forward, how we celebrate communion is through intinction, uh, the broken bread uh, and uh, the Lord's cup. And so we come forward, we take the bread, we dip it into the cup, and then we come back, come back to the center aisle, come down, down, we go down the sides, come down the middle, and then go back down to your chair, and uh, that way we don't bump into each other the whole time. And then stay standing and holding on to the elements, um, and we will partake in the Lord's table together. Amen? Okay, let's worship.
Chapter 11, verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take. And let's worship. Oh, 
I, uh, I don't know about you, but um, I, I have personally related a little bit to having uh, feeling like I'm in a cave at times and having people pursue me often. And, and, and so I always think about, like, how am I going to respond to those moments? And yet, it's amazing. When you think about how great God is, all that kind of goes away. We just focus on how great God is and the humility of Jesus Christ. So I want, so I want to encourage you as we go out, worship God this week with your whole heart. Romans 12 says that offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. Give your body to Him. Give your decisions to Him. Do not be hasty in rendering evil for evil, but render good. Not because of their, they're worth it, but because God is worth it. Um, as we go out, I really want to encourage you to stay after, eat some healthy 
grilled chicken. It's grilled chicken. It's great. So please stay after. We'd love you to stay after. Also, if you could help us stack the chairs in here would be great. But I want to read a passage remembering Christ's humility um, out of Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and praise of God. Amen and amen. Have a great week.